Thank Greg again. Wasn't that fabulous? What a great song. When, when the band lingered for a moment, I suddenly thought, am I part of the band now? Is it? So I'm kind of pleased to see that you guys are leaving the platform because I'm not part of the band, clearly. It's wonderful to be with you. It's great to, to uh, cooperate with you as you do Jesus the Game Changer to the ends of the earth. Our role as Olive Tree Media is to produce, produce resources that will make a difference across the country, our country and across the globe where, where we can and to help you do your job in reaching the ends of the earth here in Launceston and across Tasmania, wherever you find yourself. Key to this, this series is this whole idea of making Jesus' last words our first priority. And you don't have to be a genius to work out that people's last words are actually very significant. That if you're in a situation where you're with somebody and this is their last moment, what they say matters. I was chatting to a good mate of mine, uh, Mark Wilson, in, in WA uh, just, just a, a few weeks ago, actually. He, he was talking about the fact that he lost his dad at the end of last year. And in the process of losing his dad, who'd suffered from dementia for a long time, his dad had lucid moments toward the end. And he and his siblings sat around with his dad, and he just relayed to me that what his dad said in those moments were really important. They live on with him and his siblings and his family as very significant. Uh, in about 2009, they actually released a whole bunch of transcripts of recordings of phone calls made from the buildings around the 9-11 disaster in New York in 2000 or 2001. Uh, and the intriguing thing is that they released literally hundreds and hundreds of these transcripts. Some were from the, pl the plane, and, but most were from the 9-11 buildings. And what was really interesting as I read that article, I found it incredibly moving, was almost to a, to a, a transcript, to a conversation, to what was said, everybody expressed love, everybody expressed concern, Everybody wanted just to touch base with the people that they loved in these last moments. These were their last words. Here are a couple of examples. A guy called Brian Sweeney, he was 38, he was a passenger on flight 175. And he said, hey Jules, it's Brian. I'm on a plane and it's hijacked. I, it doesn't look good. I just wanted you to let you know that I love you. I hope to see you again. If I don't, please have fun in life. Live your life the best you, you know. Know that I love you and no matter what, I'll see you again. Jeremy Click, who was, was uh, on flight 93, he, he uh, contacted um, Elizabeth Click. I love you a thousand times over and over and over again. And I just brought so much peace to us. He said, I love Emily, who's our daughter. Take care of her. And then he said, whatever decisions you make in your life, I need you to be happy. I'll respect every decision that you make. Time and time again, people rang to express love and concern and thanks. Nobody rang to get even. Nobody rang to even up the scores. And here were their last moments, their last words. And they've become great comfort and motivation for the people who were close to them in their last moments. What we want to do is discover what's God's heart, what's Jesus' heart, what were his final words, what were the things that he said in his last moments to the people closest to him and to us as we follow those people. Well, his last words were about ministry and mission. His last words were about the gospel. His last words were touching the world. 
in Matthew 28, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And surely I'll be with you to the end of the age. In John chapter 20, which is recorded kind of a, a chapter early, he actually said, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And then the theme of this series uh, are those words found in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus says to those gathered around him, but you will receive power from the Holy, when the Holy Spirit comes on, on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Those words motivated the people around Jesus. Those final words became the first priority of the, of the followers, the disciples of Jesus. And what we see in those final words are kind of four things that we want to talk about this morning that ought to motivate us today all these years later just as much. They're just as important. They're just as significant. And the first is to say this. We are called to be witnesses. Now, what, that sounds like a, a, a kind of a dopey thing to say, but what does a witness do? A witness testifies to something that has actually happened. One of the great uh, writers across Christendom today is a guy called N.T. Wright. And N.T. Wright said this, Many people assume that Christianity is one of, one of more of these things, a religion, a moral system, a philosophy. In other words, they assume that Christianity is about advice. They assume Christianity is about advice. But it wasn't and it isn't. Christianity is simply good news. It's the news that something has happened, and as a result, the world is a different place. That's what you're a witness to. I'm not here to, to, this morning to take NT's rights words to give you good advice. Christian leaders, pastors, teachers are not just about popular theorists. They're not just about life coaches. They're not about giving out good advice to people who might be interested. They're, they're not about a new version of pop psychology. That's not to say that speaking about those things aren't helpful. But in the end, that's not what we do. We don't, the evangelism, the gospel is not good advice. It is good news. And what is news? Well, these days, what, who, can, who can kind of believe the news? But when you can, what is news? News is something that has happened, actually happened. When somebody gives as a witness in a court case... And when they're witnessing a witness in a court case, what are they trying to say? They're not giving advice to the court. They're not giving an idea of what might have happened. They are called to give their account of the event that actually happened. We are God's witnesses. We are Jesus' witnesses. We are telling the world something that has actually happened. We are telling the world about the person of Jesus. I want to go back to, to something I've just skipped a minute ago and talk about the fact that in this, in this job of bringing the good news, what is it that we're asked to do? Here's, we're going to show a couple of clips this morning. Here's Ermius uh, 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 Mamo, who is from the Carl Haywat Church in Ethiopia. Now, we went to Ethiopia to film because it, it's in Africa. Africa now is 500 million people following Jesus of the most explosive growth anywhere in the world at the moment. Ethiopia was one of the first places the gospel went to, uh, Acts chapter 8. It was one of the first nations that ever became a Christian nation, even before the, Ro the kind of Roman empires opened itself to Christianity. 
There was a a movement of God in Ethiopia, and in the fourth century, they became a Christian nation. Here's Ermius Mamo, who's a a key leader of the the Kale Hawat Church in Ethiopia. Millions of people are part of this church, 9,000 churches. Here's what he said the gospel's about. When we see the whole scripture, we realize God is a missionary God. And the Bible is a missionary book. The things he taught, the um, task he has given to the church, go and preach the gospel, make disciples. Now, one of the things that I, one of the reasons we use Ermius Mamo and, and why this is so important is why is the church in Africa growing explosively? There are a number of different reasons. Some of it's sociological, some of it's historical, some of it's ethical, um, ethnic uh, considerations. But partly it's because what Ermius is saying there is what the church believes. Go and preach the gospel. God is a missionary God. The church is supposed to be a missionary organisation. And as we go and preach the gospel, these two clips are a bit closer than they were supposed to be. As we go and preach the gospel, as we talk about good news, what is central to that good news? I'm going to skip across to America. This is Craig Keener. Craig Keener is a guy who's written a book, a commentary on Acts. If you ever go to a Christian bookshop and you look at Craig Keener's commentary, I picked it up once to buy a commentary of Craig Keener's on Acts. I picked it up. It was like between four and 600 pages. I thought, that's pretty big, but there's a commentary on Acts. I was starting to move to the, toward, the, uh, uh, toward the cash register to pay for this thing. I looked at it. This is, these four to 600 pages were Acts 1 to 4. I interviewed Craig Craig Keener twice. The first time I interviewed him, he talked about the fact that he was writing this this commentary on Acts and he decided to do a a footnote. He was writing a footnote on on miracles and the miraculous. So he starts exploring and writing this footnote. He said to me, these were his words, when I got to 400 pages, I thought this might be a book. (laughs) I have no concept of how to understand that. The guy is absolutely brilliant. We actually did another story on Craig Keener with his, he and his wife. They've written a book called Impossible Love. Remarkable, remarkable story. But here is Craig Keener in Asbury College, just outside Lexington, Kentucky in America, talking about what's central about what we believe. The resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith. I mean, if Jesus simply was executed for high treason against the majesty of the emperor, for claiming to be king, then, well, he's like a lot of other people who were crucified for that. He had some great teachings about, you know, being nice to people, loving people, loving, loving everyone. But if he rose from the dead, then God the Father vindicated him, and Jesus is still alive. And the witness of those who knew him is true. Jesus is alive. He's also Lord of the universe and reigns, and we owe him our lives. The gospel is not good advice, it's good news. Jesus is not just another prophet, teacher, a great historical figure. He's the son of God. That's what we believe. That's what we preach. That's what we stand on. Those are the words that we need to be sharing across the, across the world. Don't let's fall for just the gospel being good advice, a great way to live, good way to get forward in life, how to be more successful. The gospel is that we are lost 
and we're found in Jesus. We are de- we're dead, we're now alive. Jesus died and he rose. That's what we believe. And what, what, that's very gracious of you. The second component about these, these words out of Acts chapter 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What these people understood was that it was the power of God that was going to make a difference. It was the power of God that built the ministry. It was the power of God that spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Interesting little story in Acts, just a couple of chapters later in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin, the, the rulers of the Jewish nation at the time. And while they're standing before the Sanhedrin, they're trying to give him a defense because they're talking about Jesus. The rulers wanted to rid this prophet Jesus out of the Jewish kind of uh, society. And, 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 and here they are telling Peter and John, don't speak about this anymore. They beat them, they threaten them. What's really interesting that they have have a little reflection. And Dr. Luke gives us a reflection about what they thought. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. But they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were unskilled and ordinary men. They didn't have the, the, the background that Paul the Apostle had. They weren't in the great schools of, the, of, of Jewish thought and teaching. They weren't part of any system of education. What did they have going for them? Jesus. What was their power? The Holy Spirit. What made a difference that they stepped out in the power of the Holy Spirit? We're producing a new series at the moment. It'll be out next year. It's called Faith Runs Deep. We're looking at the the impact of Jesus on Australia. We're looking at some of the greats of Australia. And right now, yesterday, I was reading a book about John Flynn. Do you know who John Flynn was? John Flynn started the Royal Flying Doctors Service in Australia. Here's a little note, a little side note. John Flynn has more memorials of, of, of him and his life than any other Australian. Think, think about that. There are more monuments to John Flynn than anybody else. Now, what's interesting about John Flynn, there's all sorts of pieces uh, uh, that's interesting about John Flynn, but let me say two things. First, John Flynn had to go become part of the Presbyterian ministry. He had to be ordained by the Presbyterian church, which meant he had to go through college. Guess what? John Flynn scraped through theological college. John Flynn, the guy who's probably had more influence on Australia, more memorialised than any other Australians, this person who was on our $20 bill. Remember remember bills? Remember? (laughs) We used to use them. And when we did, John Flynn was on the $20 bill. Almost failed theological college, but understood the power of the gospel understood the power of Jesus and understood the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's a quote from, from, from John Flynn. Don't ask for tasks equal to your, your power. Ask for power equal to your tasks. Now here's the deal. What was the chance that these people were ever going to fulfill the task of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth? Unskilled ordinary men. In that room in, in, in Acts chapter 1 verse 15, there's only 120 of them. How was that ever going to happen? It's going to happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how it was going to happen. It was going to happen as as God empowered them through his spirit. The church didn't grow because Jesus gave the disciples a good plan. The church grew because Jesus gave the disciples the Holy Spirit, and that changed the world. And you know what? Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to us. We stand here in the same place. If you're sitting there thinking, gee, I 
Carl, I haven't done much education. I don't speak very well. I'm not, you know, what have I got to offer? You've got the Holy Spirit within you. You can offer whatever you've got. Don't ask for the, for the task that, that is equal to your power. Ask for the power to do the task that Jesus has called you to do. The Holy Spirit empowers you. Holy Spirit empowers you to be a witness. The Holy Spirit fills your life. Then the Holy Spirit will help take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, in those first few years in Acts, we kind of we tend to read Acts and we see the gospel going west, as it were. So Jerusalem, and we follow the, the stories of Paul. We do know that the Ethiopian eunuch went clearly back to Ethiopia, which is North Africa. But most of what we see in those period of time is it going to Turkey and to Greece and to Italy. And, and Paul talking about the fact that he wanted to go to Spain. So it was all heading east. What we don't realize is that history tells us that the gospel at that period of time was going in every direction. It's going north to the Balkans. It was going down to the to, to, uh, to the subcontinent. You know that there are those who believe that right in those earliest years, the gospel came to India. Uh, the gospel went, was very strong in North Africa and grew enormously in North Africa. The gospel was going in every direction, even in the earliest years, because the power of the Holy Spirit opened the way for the gospel. What we see, and this is exactly what Greg was talking about and singing about. In fact, this point I want to make is, that, is exactly what Greg said as he introduced this song to the ends of the earth. That the Jesus event was not just about the Jews, it was about the whole earth. And the point I wanted to make was exactly what Greg was just saying. Back in Genesis chapter 1... Uh, Greg talked about God's word to Adam and Eve. But in chapter 12, God had a word to Abraham. And what was his word to Abraham? I'm going to bless you. I'm gonna, you're going to have uh, more uh, those who follow you in your family than the sands on the earth and the stars in the sky. And the whole world will be blessed through you and those who follow in your family. Now, that's right back there in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 18. Then we get to the end of the story, exactly again what Greg was saying. And at the end of the story in chapter 7, what do we read? And I looked, John says, here is God's vision of what's going to happen at the end of time. And here is John on the Isle of Patmos writing down what God gave him. And what part of what God gave him was this. After this, I looked and before me was a great multitude. No one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne. Every people, every tribe, every language, every nation. At the beginning, God says, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. At the end, there's this moment that says the whole world is being blessed. It is gathered before us. What is the pivot point between those two? It's the person of Jesus, and it's the Great Commission. That's the pivot point between those two things. The place that it all changed was in that moment where Jesus says, I'm going to take, go to the ends of the earth. All people, all nation, all tribes, all languages will be influenced by the power of Jesus. And what you see is as Luke unfolds the story in Acts, in Acts chapter 2, what does Peter do? Peter gives a speech and people from all over the region in their own language could understand what he was saying through the power of the Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 10, my most significant uh, story in the Bible, as Cornelius asks Peter to come, he comes 
And when he prays, the Holy Spirit falls on them. They don't only believe, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And a, a remarkable change as Gentiles are brought into the kingdom of God. What do we see? That it was every people, every nation, every tongue. It all comes together in that moment. What we see is that we're called to be witnesses. What we see is that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. What we see is that this is a, that the gospel going to the very ends of the earth, to all people of all tongues and all nations. But we, what we also see is that the impact of the gospel has changed the world. That's what we've been, uh, what you would have seen if you did Jesus the Game Changer Series 1, you would have seen that. The gospel impact across the whole globe. My wife says I have a man crush on Tom Holland. That may or may not be true. <laughs> Tom Holland, not the actor, Spider-Man actor, but Tom Holland, uh, who's a Greco-Roman scholar. We didn't interview uh, Tom Holland in Jesus the Game Changer season one because we didn't actually kind of know he existed. When I was launching Jesus the Game Changer season one in uh, the UK, I was in uh, Premier Radio and a, a guy who's in Premier Radio who, gave me a, an article. said, Carl, because you do, you're doing this series, you should read this article. And the article was by Tom Holland. And it was why I was wrong about Christianity. Now, some background on Tom Holland, and I'll say some more later. The background on Tom Holland, he was a Greco-Roman scholar. He's not a Christian. He's still not a Christian, but he's very close. And what he understood was there was a shift between the Greco-Roman world and how they behaved and our world. Here's, a, here's Tom Holland giving a reflection on the different world we now live in. Tom, what drew your interest in the Greco-Roman world? Um, I think the fact that they, uh, the Greeks and the Romans seemed glamorous, they seemed fierce, and they were extinct. And for me, it was a kind of seamless progress on from um, an obsession with dinosaurs. I was one of those boys who was absolutely obsessed by dinosaurs. Um, and I think that the, the qualities of a tyrannosaur were pretty much what I enjoyed and appreciated <laughs> in a Spartan or a Roman army. The experience of actually writing about Greece and Rome, of, of living in the minds of um, a Spartan king or a Roman emperor, I, I found them increasingly morally repellent. Um, the, the, the Spartans killed disabled children without a qualm. They were highly praised for it. This was the index of their moral virtue. Um, Caesar, when he conquered Gaul, is said to have slaughtered a million Gauls and to have enslaved a million more. And again, this, far from being held against him, was a measure of, of, of everything that he had achieved. And I began to realise that there was a kind of a, a, a quality of callousness about classical antiquity that was utterly alien to how I thought and to how everybody I knew thought and to the moral presumptions that, that essentially governed the, the society in which I lived. Jesus changed the world. That's essentially what Tom Holland is saying. And understand, understand this, Tom Holland is not saying that as a religious leader. Tom Holland is not saying that as a, as a, a Christian philosopher. Tom Holland's not saying any of that as a, as a biblical scholar. Tom Holland is saying, I looked at the Greco-Roman world I looked at our world, they are poles apart. The Greco-Roman world had values that are morally repellent. So what happened? 
between then and now? And his answer, Jesus happened. He wrote a book called Dominion. That, that interview was done before Dominion was released. Dominion has been released since. It's a, it's a kind of a potted history of Christ, the influence of Christianity. Tom Holland doesn't come at this as a Christian philosopher, speaker, communicator. Tom Holland comes at this as a historian and says, when I look at the facts of history, the world now is completely different to what it was then. And the only explanation is the person of Jesus. In fact, the article, if you don't want to read his 400-page book, Google the article, you can get it for free, Why I Was Wrong About Christianity, Tom Holland. Avoid everything about Spider-Man, that's a different Tom Holland. <laughs> but if you find the article, he basically the last paragraph of the article has said that, that even though the church attendance across the West seems to be failing and that the pews are empty, he says, I've come to realise that in my, my morals and my values, I am not Greek at Rome or Roman at all, but thoroughly and proudly Christian. Now, hear carefully. Tom Holland's not saying, I am a Christian. He's saying that the values that I hold to as being foundational in my life are given to me by the person of Jesus. And he would, he would go on to say something that we would all disagree with, but he goes on to say that I, I, you don't have to believe in the resurrection, which we do, because that's foundational for us. But he would say, you don't have to believe in the resurrection to see the influence of Jesus on Western nations. We, he says in the, in the introduction to his book, Dominion, in Western nations, we swim in Christian waters. Now, Jesus has changed the world by dying and rising to life again, by calling people to be witnesses, by empowering with them with the Holy Spirit, by taking that message to the ends of the earth. And as they did, they reflected the values of Jesus. As they did, they gave people dignity and worth. Everybody mattered. From the greatest to the lowest, to the disabled child, everybody matters. Everybody has dignity and worth in the face of God. They decided that when there was somebody sick and in need and there was no opportunity to help them, who was there to help them? Why, did, why was John Flynn so motivated to start the Royal Flying Doctor Service? Because he saw people in Central Australia dying when they didn't need to. And when people told him this can't be done, they haven't invented a plane that can do that, we have no communications across the nation, it can't be done, his attitude was it must be done, we cannot leave these people die alone. What motivated him? Not a humanitarian heart, but a Christian heart. Motivated by Jesus, motivated by, and powered by the Holy Spirit, ready to do whatever he could to be Jesus to those people. Education, uh, Bible translation, printing, book binding and sales, all of those things, healthcare, education, humility is a virtue within our society. All of those things were a part of the kingdom of God. All of those things were Jesus bringing the message to the ends of the earth. The question is, what's the future going to look like? I talked about this on, on Friday night. Jesus changed the world one person at a time. Jesus changed the world as his death and resurrection, empowered, empowering people by the Holy Spirit, going to the ends of the earth, changed people one person at a time. Our task today is exactly the same task as Peter, John, the disciples, all those 2,000 years ago. It's to make Jesus' last words our first priority. 
It's to make sure that we commit ourselves to that end. We want, to, we want to do that. I hope, trust that your church is in the next number of weeks as you go through Jesus the Game Changer Season 2. Look, I, I want you to know that I'm not biased at all, but it's the best thing you'll see in ages. <laughs> this is beautifully shot across the world. It's shot in 14 different countries. You're going to meet some great people across the globe, absolutely stunning individuals who've given their lives to the kingdom of God and the world is a different place because of them. And the one thing for you to keep in mind and the same as I'm discovering with John Flynn, is that these people weren't superhuman people with, with uh, abilities that you don't have. They were simply committed to the task that Jesus gave them to them. They made Jesus' last words their first priority and they changed the world. The world in which you and I live is a completely different place because of the person of Jesus. Our nation was founded on the values of the kingdom of God mistakes built in all the way through. The question is, what will the future look like? What will the future of this city look like? What will the future of this state look like? What will the future of our nation look like? It will be influenced deeply as we take Jesus' last words to go to the ends of the earth and we make them our first priority. That ought to be our prayer. Can you join me as we pray? Lord, we come to you with all our failures, disappointments and what we feel is our lack of ability but we offer it to you again this morning and we say what little we have we give to this end we thank you for your death and resurrection we thank you for the truth of that we thank you for the Holy Spirit given to us we thank you for the call to go to the ends of the earth we thank you that the life and teaching of Jesus has changed the world and Lord we pray as we commit ourselves to that end that we would see a great move of the Spirit in this city, in this state, in our nation, and even to the ends of the earth. Amen. Thanks, Greg.